Welcome to Travel Stories with your hosts, Trevor Mountcastle and Tom Kim. This week, episode eight, an epic guy's trip. We've got two awesome guests this week. Jeff, thank you for coming. Joey, thank you for coming. Do you guys want to share anything about yourselves before we dive into this amazing trip? Yeah. Hello. A wonderful, wonderful introduction there, Jeff. <laughs> and then, Joey, this was really your trip. You want to say a few words before we dive right in? Sure. I'm just thankful I have a friend like Thomas Kim, who I was like, hey, sir, can you please book a flight? And he put it all together. I certainly wouldn't have gone on it if he didn't put it together. And I think it's still definitely in my top three trips of all time. There were a lot of requirements for this trip. I got all kinds of things like, I need maybe two days in Sydney. I need a day in Singapore. I, you know, I got to visit here and there. I think I sent this to you at least two or three times, right? There's at least one or two phases of this flight search, if I remember correctly. Probably, I would like to point out that I was very not particular about what airlines and what type of airplane we were taking on this round the world. I simply wanted to go around the world. And there were certain other people on this podcast who were very concerned about the metal, the type of Fifth Freedom flight we were taking, the lounges we had access to. Fair enough. Fair I'm enough. still very appreciative, very much so. Well, it was a lot of brute force flight searching, I'll tell you this much. You know, there wasn't any trip planners or, you know, we didn't use any services. It was me on a computer trying to get everything right. And it was a tough flight search, I can tell you that much. But it was amazing. It was a lot of fun, actually, because it was an interesting puzzle. I will say we should give a shout out to Flyer Talk. I initially found out about this fair deal on Flyer Talk Premium J Fares, which I think is under appreciated, maybe utilized or. Yeah, undercredited, I would say. Okay, undercredited. Fair enough. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Part of the travel hacking community. And some guys were throwing around and they were saying, hey, we're traveling around the world in and out of Santiago for sub 4000 bucks, I think. And I shot at the TK and I said, hey, I'll do this if you find all the flights because I certainly wasn't going to do all the legwork. So thank you, Flyer Talk. And thank you, Tom Kim, for doing copious amounts of legwork and trial and error. Thank you, TK. And just for a little bit more background, this trip is kind of the typical travel story where it's not necessarily a very recent trip, right? So we did this in June of 2018, but I think a lot of this stuff, what we did is kind of applicable even now in a different environment, maybe on the on, on finding the fair deals, but visiting the different cities and the kind of experience that, that we had and the stories that we actually had, I think are really timeless. As, as you said, Joey, this is in your top three trips. Yeah, it was it was a real accomplishment to be able to book this. I mean... This was definitely the, probably has the most segments of any ticket that I've, I've ever bought that I can think of, at least definitely a business class ticket. And all four of us booked separately, if I recall, right? Yes. We did. Four different PNRs. Thank you, Cheapo Air. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think one last interesting note, too, is we technically touched five continents in seven days, which is not something most people can ever claim to accomplish. That is very true. Unfortunately, we couldn't get Africa, but we got close enough with Dubai. I'd say almost uh, close enough. Come on, give it to us. There you go. There you go. So TK, let's walk through a little bit of how you found this. Talk through the itinerary and then we'll kind of jump into repositioning since we had to start in, in Santiago and kind of reflect on the trip. Yeah, just basically, you know, again, uh, as you already mentioned, founded on Flyer Talk, the premium affairs uh, part of Flyer Talk. Definitely, again, underappreciated, under, undercredited, et cetera. 
part of Flyer Talk, and this is where sometimes being a little veteran of the travel hacking hobby is not a bad thing because uh, to many of the older, old-time people that are, that are looking at these things. And this was an end-over-end fair on LATAM, and technically this was a business class fair between Santiago, Chile, and Incheon, Korea. But because it was this end-over-end fair, we could basically utilize any airline that had, I guess, an IATA agreement with LATAM, which was quite a few. And this allowed us to basically touch a whole bunch of different airlines. In fact, yeah, let's just break it down. So the ticket we booked, which is, I think, about $3,800, was business class trip, Santiago to Sydney on Qantas, and then Sydney to Singapore on British Airways, if I'm not mistaken, and then Singapore to Seoul on Singapore Airlines, and then Seoul to Dubai on Emirates, and then Emirates again, Dubai to Madrid, and finally from Madrid to Santiago for the last leg on LATAM. And it really was that kind of an epic trip. We had the A380s, we had the 747-400 on Qantas and the 787 in there. And I think the Singapore Bird and, and the BA Birds were both 777s. So a lot of different metal. I, I, you know, Joey made the comment that we had a lot more than his major requirements, but we definitely added an avenue or, or an aspect of avgeekness. It was pretty amazing to be able to fly you know, British Airways and Qantas and Emirates and Latam all on one ticket. You know, That's not something you can do every day. So even though the ticket started in Santiago, we all ended up catching up at DFW. That's right. I can't remember who, whose idea that was other than the fact that American space to Santiago is actually used to be really, really easy. I haven't looked lately, but that was one of those routes that was just super, super easy. And you could actually get into a Centurion Lounge back then without a wait. Yes. And even run into people you know. Exactly. In fact, that one, we did run into Seth Miller, Wandering Aramean. And if I recall correctly... Joey and Jeff, you guys ran into him in Sydney because he he was on that 18-hour flight from DFW direct to Sydney for the IATA global meeting or general meeting, general meeting. So you guys ended up seeing him just outside the Park Hyatt, right? We did. We ran into him at about 4 a.m. Yes. I would like to point out I was only awake at 4 a.m. because I made the mistake of sharing a room with Jeff at the Park Hyatt Sydney and... For those of you who have never stayed in the room, there's these weird, like, I don't know what you would call them, like, saloon doors Invisible to the benches. bathroom. <laughs> there's, like, these saloon doors to the bathroom that we had left open, and then there's, like, a big bench. And so Jeff went to the bathroom at 3.30 in the morning and then tried to run back to his bed, I guess, and tripped over this big bench and ate S-H-I. <laughs> like fell over, screamed, I think knocked his head on the floor. And then I was pretty much awake for the day after that frightening sound. Knocked the mattress off the bed. Lamps fell on the ground. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Shit everywhere. So before we get too much into Sydney, let's just quickly walk in through. Was there anything you wanted to highlight on the, the flight down to Dallas or Dallas to Santiago or kind of the experience that we had in the Santiago, just making that transit in Santiago or that Qantas flight, uh, taking that kind of southern line, you know, the southern trans-Pacific. I have a comment. You know, I, I remember, I think we were on a 777, if I'm not mistaken, on American. And shout out to their business class seat. I think it's one of the super diamond seats. They have a zero gravity position in that seat that was really, really good. That's one memorable thing that I remember from that Dallas to Santiago trip. We also had the mini cabin. And I remember we all had one through 4A. And so we got to Got to have a good time of, of making obnoxious fools of ourselves. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I will say that was the first time I had flown those seats on American. I wasn't a big American flyer back then like I am now. And that was like the nicest American flight I think I had taken to date. And then, man, that Qantas plane was really rough after. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was that was what? I, that's a good point. Two, three, two down in the nose on that main yeah. deck, right? Yeah. Yeah, you guys were downstairs, weren't you? Yeah, I think TK and Joey were downstairs, and then you and I were on the upper deck on the port side looking down at that blue Antarctic ice. I mean, it, it could have been worse. We were in the nose, but I mean, there's that back section of that 747 where it's like, you know, it's kind of that dormitory business class seating. It was like 232 or something like that. Oh, you guys weren't further in the nose. Yeah, because we ended up going down to see you guys. And we were, we kind of saw those seats, I think, Jeff and I. And we were like, wow, we made the right choice being on the upper deck. We were in like a two seat. It was like a one two one, I think, in that area. And then it got bigger, right? TK? Yep, yep, yep. It got wider in the back part. There were more people. They were kind of crammed back there for business class, it seemed. So not the most comfortable, but at the same time, you know, I don't I don't think I'd give it up. I think I would still make the same choice if I had the option to fly, you know, Qantas on the 747-400. Uh, you can't do it anymore, right? It's, you know. And that route. I mean, I, I, I think that route might still be operated. I, I think they might use a 787 now, or it might just be LATAM doing it. But LATAM, I think at the time, was connecting in Auckland. But still, great memory. That shell seed obviously is well past its prime, was well past its prime five years ago, in fact. I think the Tom Lounge in Santiago also gets a little bit of mention only because I thought it was very pretty. It was recently renovated, I think, when we got out there. And I thought it was, as far as South American lounges go, I wouldn't say I've been to all of them, but you know that seemed to be a pretty good one. I mean, it is their main hub, so. Yeah. It was definitely a huge improvement on the old Platam Lounge, or I guess the, the land lounge that was there prior. Yes, the, like the Pablo Neruda Lounge or whatever it was. So we made it to Sydney, I think, and unless we want to talk any more about the lounge. I, it was a nice lounge, not terribly amazing in uh, the way I remember it, but definitely an improvement compared to all the other lounges that they've got there. I just remember us eating steaks in the arrivals or the departures area because we couldn't check in for our Sydney flight since it wasn't part of the connecting itinerary. So we had a landed on that, that overnight American red eye and couldn't check in yet because we were too early for the Qantas check-in to open. So we hit some steak restaurant, and we all chowed down on steak and beer at 5 a.m. local time or whatever it was prior to getting access. I do remember that meal. And I think that was actually the better of the two steaks that I had of that trip in uh, in Santiago. It was a pretty good meal. Not to say that was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for it a little bit toward the end of this episode. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. Okay. So in Sydney, we stayed at the Park Hyatt, as, as you mentioned. This was, I think, our only stop where we were actually two nights someplace. Two nights in a hotel. I'll, I'll, I'll qualify that. So Jeff, you want to walk us through kind of some of the things that we did? Any high points for you from that experience? I should push in my memory there. I think the biggest high point for me was sitting in the hot tub drinking for about 36 of 48 hours. I think we spent I think we spent more time sitting in that hot water until TK's friend came up in his bathrobe and threw us out. His Excellency. Yes, sir. And that was, I think, one of the interesting things about the trip. The IATA general meeting happening and where do the bigwigs of the different airlines stay? We're there for breakfast in the restaurant of the Park Hyatt for breakfast the first day and we're sort of looking and we're like, oh, you know, a couple of people looking familiar. Are we not going to give away who we saw at breakfast in his own airline pajamas on this podcast? I think the podcast listeners deserve to know. They, they do deserve. 
I was leaving that open for you. <laughs> I, I will give him a shout out. So we're sitting there at breakfast after, I think this is shortly after Jeff has tripped over his bench. We run into Seth Miller, who runs another travel podcast I'm sure a lot of you listen to. And then finally, I think at 5 a.m., they open up. We're like literally like 4.40 standing in line to go eat at the Hyatt Sydney breakfast. It opens at 5. There's like literally no one here. They're just asking us what we need. And Akbar Al-Baker walks in in his his like Qatar-like first-class pajamas, essentially. Yeah, and just loads up on a bunch of fruit while we were sitting there and, and heading out. I think for an aviation trip slash podcast, it was quite the catch. Absolutely. And I think they had the KLM CFO and, and perhaps even CEO there. And I thought there was another kind of big wig, but their airline just escapes me. I think they were they were doing a One World Select membership right then. And so I think there was I think it was Fiji Airways. It was one of those Polynesian Airlines, I think, that was joining that particular month. So they had the, the CEO for that for that airport. Yeah. So we got to see a handful of those folks. That breakfast is absolutely fantastic. The other thing that I found interesting, and the name escapes me now, as I just am starting to say it, is we were there during, was it Vivid Sydney, where they project all these beautiful different kind of colors and graphics and stuff on the Sydney Opera House. And so it wasn't just the projection on the Opera House. They also had, it felt like The Rocks, which is an area right near the Park Hyatt, had uh, you know a bunch more stuff going on as well. It was kind of a nice vibe. If you recall, there was actually a pop-up Centurion Lounge that we made our way up to. I'm not sure where it was. It was near the, I think it was near the ferry terminal, somewhere by the Opera House there. But uh, I've got a photo of it. We went up to some knockoff temporary Centurion Lounge on top of the rocks. Uh, oh, that's the right. Overseas passenger terminal. That's right. It was where the cruise ships dock. That's correct. Thank, thank you, TK. I'd forgotten. <laughs> I do remember flipping off some drones. Oh, yeah, yeah, while we were in the pool. While we were in the pool. <laughs> Waving to the people going up on the Sydney Harbor Bridge, doing that bridge climb. And there were good times in that pool. I think we might have also made a dash out to Manly Beach, which is one of my favorite places in Sydney, other than the Park Hyatt rooftop pool, just because you get a, a ferry ride and you also get that kind of beach experience. Yeah, I left it open there, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> was this our ill-fated trip for TK's world's best fish and chips? It, it totally was. <laughs> yeah, tell us about those fish and chips there, TK. They were delicious, except that we went to the wrong place. <laughs> I thought they were manly. I, I think I, I found the old photo. I forget even where they were, but they're, they were pretty good, but they weren't had on this trip. It was I totally took us to the wrong place. But we did have fish and chips. They weren't the best in the world, but then we have fish and chips. and we had, I, I remember getting some shrimp, which, by the way, I love. Whenever I go to Sydney, I think they have the best, you know, they're pretty good crustaceans there in Australia for whatever reason. They taste different, I think. So we had just the two nights there in, in, in Sydney. I'm not trying to move us fast here, but we did have a little bit of fun hopping among the, uh, I think there are three or four Priority Pass restaurants in the inter <laughs> International Terminal in Sydney. <laughs> Jeff, you, Jeff, I know you want to talk that. <laughs> oh, man. I think Joey really had the right idea on that one. I mean, he, he took point on how to best handle the Sydney lounge situation. I think we bifurcated our, our lounge experience. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, I guess Joey, you went to work, and then the three of us ended up going to the Peroni Lounge, where between the three of our priority pass cards, I think we got a bottle of champagne, five or ten beers, plus a, a bunch of Diet Cokes, and like three or four sandwiches. 
Did I get that right? Sounds about right. That does not sound correct to me, but maybe the drinks have skewed one of our memories. <laughs> well, the way I remember that, and, 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 and TK, correct me if I'm wrong, I remember the Peroni bar is kind of like, I'll say the peak, not to say it was a very high peak, but the peak of our priority pass experience. And then we ended up going to another one where they had kind of not so great burgers and, and, and not very good beer. And then the third one, I don't even think we could eat. And we ended up leaving most of the beers. We just kind of got them because the priority pass gave you, you know, what that 23 or $27 per person and, you know, three priority pass cards later. Yeah, I remember that restaurant being pretty dismal. I mean, I didn't realize how bad fast casual food was in Australia, especially the, in the airports, but it was downright inedible. Yeah. I just recall it being about 22,000 wasted steps. That Qantas <laughs> Lounge looked really, really good by the time we went back to the plane. Yes. You want to tell us how that Qantas Lounge was there, Joey? Uh, the Qantas Lounge was great. I think they had unlimited Diet Coke for the likes of Mr. Kim. And I don't know. I remember I ate some snacks. I didn't walk 22,000 steps. I didn't break a sweat. I think they even had free alcohol. So I'll agree. I'll take the big W on that one by not walking around the whole airport looking for free <laughs> cheeseburgers. <laughs> oh. One of those experiences where maybe maximizing the credit card benefits might not be the best of answers. 100%. I remember on this flight, you know, so we, we did that fifth freedom flight, right, from Sydney up to Singapore on, on British Airways. And I think this is one of the interesting times where we're pretty good about actually providing gifts to the flight attendants and the flight crew. And for some reason, this particular flight crew was incredibly appreciative. Like, was that the best way to frame it, Trevor? What do you think? I'd say so. They they were surprised. And, and, and you know something, I've, I've had a number of British Airways crews that have actually been surprised. I don't know if it's their surly attitude is, you know, doesn't normally result in gifts or what, but these, these folks are actually pretty impressed to be appreciated, I'll say. And I thought they did something special for us. I thought they brought us some um, first class amenity kits, even though we were sitting in business, you know, not that British business is, is much to talk about, but I mean, I, I remember the crew being fantastic. And of course, probably is colored by the fact that they gave me a first class amenity kit. I mean, that's a nice present. Yeah, that was my first ever time flying British Airways business class, and they lost my seat assignment, if we recall. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and I got put in that group of three <laughs> with two random strangers flying backwards on an airplane. It was, it was pretty – I'm going to go with – how about this? I have not flown British Airways since that flight. And we were talking about the dorm room experience on the on the Qantas seven four seven. I think uh, I think British Airways might might be the hostile experience. Yeah, that British Airways seven 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 and that Delta seven six seven. Me and Jeff flew later. Definitely tied for the worst flights of that trip. But oh yeah, I did appreciate our first class amenity kit. That was that was very very nice. It wasn't too long a flight, too, I guess. Uh, I forget how many hours it was between Sydney and Singapore. It probably went like three or four or five. I thought it was closer to eight. Was it closer to eight? Is Ooh. it six, eight hours? No, oh, I don't remember. Well, I guess we'll have to find out one of these days. I think you guys slept some, and I think I just ended up staying up. According to Google Flights, it is eight hours and 15 minutes oh, booked. a lot longer than I thought. There okay. you go. Oops. And it, it's a four. I don't know if the hours change, but this feels about right. It's a four thirty departure out of Sydney, landing about nine thirty in Singapore. I feel like that's about what we did uh, when we flew it. It was a two fifty p.m. departure, landing at nine p.m. Yeah, close enough. There you go. 
That makes sense. And I, I just remember we, we were trying to get a bus or a van to go from the airport to the St. Regis, and I felt like we waited forever for that. Oh, that's right. Why did it take so long? It didn't seem like that was a weird time to get a taxi. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think next time I'll just do the taxi. Joe, you want to walk through Singapore? Sure. So let's see. We got into Singapore really late. We lost Trevor in the mix there. Trevor rested his head at the St. Regis. I think had, you know, the butler service busy unpacking and folding his clothes and making him tea. <laughs> well, it was good tea. TK, Jeff and I roughed it into the real world, went to the hawker markets, found some pretty good food. We ordered like food for 15 people and there was three of us. So that part was maybe unfortunate or fortunate, depending on who you are. It was definitely an over-order situation. Everything we ordered was great. I did my best to not chew bubble gum. And uh, <laughs> we, we got back to the St. Regis, which, I, you know, the St. Regis in Singapore is a very polarizing hotel. I find a lot of people really don't like it, and I find a lot of people like it. And I have to say that I'm pro-St. Regis Singapore, especially on my recent trip. I did the Andaz. I did the Grand Hyatt, and I've done a couple other hotels there. And I just, I really like the St. Regis, but people seem to also not like it for some reason. I think that was my third or fourth trip to the St. Regis, Singapore. It was, and yes. I thought it was a fine hotel. I mean, I, I haven't been back and that was my first time, but it seemed wonderful. I think the only reason that I probably wouldn't go back is, is just the amount of miles or, or points it is for that hotel compared to the others. Generally, we love the Grand Hyatt because they've got that nice pool and the lounge is pretty nice, although steps everywhere. But we're heading there uh, back to Singapore soon. We'll be at that end. Never been there, so excited to try that out. My disappointment with that hotel was that the spa didn't have the, the, ice, the ice fountain wasn't working. Oh, yeah. That was my big disappointment because, you know, that does have actually have a reasonably nice spa area for people. I think we're just mostly likely lucky we did not get thrown out of the spa while we were there. I mean, the, it was it's a wonderful spot, the St. Regis, uh, indoor, outdoor. We had some some great plane spotting from the outdoor soaking pool or whatever you call it, a six-inch deep wading pool. But man, those indoor plunge pools and belly flops, I'm not sure that those fit the Singapore code of, of ethics. We, we made a bit of a mess in there, I think. <laughs> just having some fun. <laughs> so we did spend... Most of that day, though, that following day from the flight around Singapore, I seem to remember a Michelin-starred restaurant and drinks over at the Marina Bay Sands. Am I missing anything? Those only good highlights. Those are pretty good highlights. I was I was trying to find the name of the restaurant. You know, I couldn't dig it back up, but I recall it was a great meal. I've also got some photos. We went to Tim Ho Wan, apparently. Oh, that's right. And some Chasu Bao's and some oh, yeah. egg custard tarts and beers. A lot of walking around. We went up to the fort, walked through there, chewed some beetle nut, apparently. Not sure where we got that. That doesn't seem like it fits in in Singapore, but <laughs> apparently we did that as well. I will say, I think objectively looking at everywhere we ate on the trip, like as a whole, like I think we ate the best in Singapore, which is kind of interesting because in my head, I don't really consider Singapore like a great food city, but there was also like we had time limit restrictions and, and these other issues. But like generally, yeah, the, the Michelin star restaurant was great. Tim Ho Wan there was obviously great. And then the hawker markets were really good where I don't think we really had like a weak meal in Singapore where I think other places we kind of guessed wrong maybe one or two times. I definitely agree with you. 
I guess I do think of Singapore as kind of a foodie city just because, you know, the hawker markets. I mean, it might not be luxurious, but but the hawker markets are just extolled for their variety and the goodness there. But when you think about the Michelin starred restaurants and stuff, definitely some interesting opportunities. And I don't even remember it being that expensive. Yeah, Mich- Michelin starred hawker, right? Michelin starred hawker stall. We didn't go, but, you know. Maybe I retract what I said, too, and just to say, like, it's not my when I think of like I have a great love of Asian food and it's just not where I would put on top of my list. And we went to one of those other places. But I just think we did eat really well in Singapore versus everyone's. Also, we were coming from Australia, which has the worst food on the planet. Yeah, Australia's not great for <laughs> a lot of things, except, except for shrimp. I'll, I'll bring that up again. Other but, than the crustaceans, yeah. Yes. In, in a way, Singapore reminds me of like Las Vegas because you, you eat pretty well in Las Vegas too. And I think part of it is Singapore is one of these interesting places where they just import a lot of different food eateries from everywhere. You know, and it's not even just the brands, it's the cuisine, you know, because, you know, it's a melting pot itself, right? You've got, you know, some of the Malay, you've got the Chinese, you've got the Indian, you know. So I think Singapore definitely, for me, is fighting above its weight class, uh, cult, you know, from the food perspective. So, Joey, you were talking about how Singapore, you don't think of food, but the next destination you kind of implied was where you think of food. So let's talk about how we kind of got there and then what that next destination was. Sure. This was actually one of my more favorite flights of the trip. The only real unfortunate part of it was we left, I think, at 2.30 in the morning from Singapore, and then we flew into... Incheon International Airport, which I think is like a six and a half hour flight. So it was also not the shortest flight. So we landed in Korea in the morning at about 8.30, 9 o'clock by the time we got through immigration. And Jeff and I, if I remember correct, were ready to partay. And then two other people in our party wanted to check into a hotel and sleep. So that's how I remember the start of our, our Korea trip. Maybe someone else can can chime in. I thought it was the other way around. I thought we went into Incheon and then we got the hotel to rest. No, you ended up sticking us on a employee shuttle to the employee parking lot where the apparently one of the Hyatts was located next to. Then you walked over and you showed your Diamond Disc Global card, <laughs> trying to check in with six guests and a giraffe. Uh, after about 30 minutes in the lobby, you finally got a day room. Meanwhile, the, Joey and I were trying to work our way into the city. We had to wait a long time to get a taxi, right? Because this is the for which is really odd. You would think like an airport, you know, huge hotel like the Grand Hyatt Incheon, you know, it wouldn't be that that hard to get a taxi. But we were waiting, I think, for like half an hour or something. We definitely took a shuttle bus. Yes, and I had to I had to exercise some of my linguistic skills, which are pretty poor. But you know, I do speak a little bit of Korean, and was able to kind of talk the taxi guy into like, you know, kind of letting us go to a couple different places instead of just you know going to one place. You know, he kind of was our our tour guide, quote unquote, for the day. And he recommended the chicken restaurant we went to, which was fantastic. I forgot about that. So he he's oh, the one that recommended wonderful. it. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. And that one was nice because as you're waiting in line, you got to see them making the chicken as well. Yes. And the Ajmos were very kind to not care what we said and just gave us chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and made it was a really special busy. badge for Trevor with zero seasoning. And we're going to be back as I, I don't recall what the name of that place was. or I don't even remember what the name of the market was that we were in in Incheon, but it was popping, right? They were like, we it couldn't get really a seat. Popular. We had to go to another uh, restaurant, right, to sit down because we'd probably have to wait another hour to get a place to sit. Yeah, yeah. We kind of walked, what, another five, five, ten minutes down and finally found a place and, and got a couple of beers and at least 
had the ability to eat our food. Yes. Because <laughs> that was the closest we could we could do it. It was very good chicken. And then there was also a hike. I can't remember what we went up to. It seemed like a lot of uh, a, a lot of stairs. Well, it was a Buddhist temple, if I remember correctly. And then there was a, a kind of a mountainside hike. I was nursing an injury to my Achilles heel at this time. So I did not follow you guys up the, the mountainside. But I did stay kind of in that, that temple area, I think, where there was some, some seating that I could just kind of like hang out. My favorite part of that whole hike slash journey was we came back down. And for those of you that have never been to Korea, they have all these like, I don't know what you would call it, how to describe it. Basically, it's like a fitness area for children and adults. It, it's, it's like It looks like an American playground, but it's really meant for, for your health. And there's like little exercises and things. Needless to say, a lot of this exercise equipment is made for Korean people. And I am not the size of any Korean person. <laughs> and so uh, everyone walking by was definitely laughing at me and Jeff as we tried to use these. Remember there was a thing you walked through based on how skinny you were, like sideways? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a lot of locals got quite entertained by us trying to figure out how to use this for your health exercise equipment. I mean, I was just impressed that all three of us made it to the top of this mountain and back down after a couple of hours sleep and really no more than five or six hours sleep every night prior on the trip. And you know, our just great in-shapeness as well. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> oh. I avoided all of this. I mean, the best part was TK getting to the bottom saying, what took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> Lounging on a bench. And it's not the last time you were lounging, as we'll, uh, as we'll get to. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Okay. So we did a hike. We got some chicken. And then it's a little fuzzy, but I think we went back to the airport at that point to check in for our Emirates A380. The first, for me, Emirates A380 flight in business class. Same thing with you, Joey. Well, it was my first Emirates A380 flight, period, ever. Mine too. How about you, Jeff? I believe it was... I don't know. It had to be eight or 10 or 12. We used to take them to Australia quite often. But unlike Trevor, I did not have to make it known to the flight attendants. It was my first time in business class. I was not, <laughs> I was not slumming it with the lower people as I typically fly an F. It felt very tight. I was claustrophobic at times. <laughs> Why? Well, you spend most of your time at the bar. But it's okay. You, yeah. Because you see, it's just so tiny. <laughs> we did spend a fair amount of time at that bar. I think we did get some sleep on that flight, though, because it was a nice long flight. Yeah, that's true. Some that's true. Did. Some of us did. Yes, yes, yes. Some of us did. Some of us tried and some of us failed. And other than, you know, plenty of time at that bar, I think, was it that flight or was it the next flight that I had met the uh, one of the first officers? Next, next flight. Okay. Yeah. I think. That's like an 11-hour flight, too. So that was a long – I think that was in our longer range of – Airtime and the fact that we had already been, I mean, that was like, what, our fourth or fifth segment. So it was like, that was a rough one. I think I slept nine and a half or 10 hours out of that. I agree. I don't remember that much of that flight. (laughs) (laughs) That was also our second night in a row in the air. We hadn't been in a hotel room for two nights at this point, but then we got into into Dubai. smelled great. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is why we paid to get into the first class lounge. Why they let us in, I have no idea. But we had only, what, three or four hours in Dubai. So we paid to get into the first class lounge. We were able to get some showers. 
I'm sure that the locals or the staff appreciated that and then enjoyed the meal. We were in, uh, I, I can never remember which terminal it is, but we were in that the newer terminal that has just the entire floor for each class, business and first class. So like you had to, uh, as I recall, the top level was business class, then you had first class, and then you had the, the kind of main arcade and non-lounge. I think it's terminal B. I think you're right. I made use of the duty-free, the first class only duty-free shop. Oh, I remember. You did. You <laughs> promptly left it behind. Yeah, I did. I did. Do we remember what the cost to upgrade to the first class lounge was? Just for that seems interesting for the podcast. Some people probably don't even know you can do that. So yes, yes, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll go ahead and, and search because what we paid five years ago is probably not what they they it's charge probably now. Inaccurate I'll now, just yeah. add it add it into the show notes. That's a great point. That's fair. I just think that's useful, and I, like because I had flown Emirates a lot before and didn't really realize it was an option, which. I'd argue the J Lounge there is pretty nice as well. Unless it's like a super busy time. It's not that crowded. It's really big. I mean, the food is – you get like table service food in the F Lounge. I think that's probably the biggest difference. And there's some different alcohol options. And there's a couple of posts out there that talk about the caliber of wine that they offer in that first lounge. I mean, other times we've had two, three, $400 bottles of wine. It's really hit or miss, though. I mean, I've found that transiting Dubai, I mean, you can get lucky and they'll pull something really good out that day and you can get unlucky and it's just the same thing they're pouring on board. So I think the day that we were there, we got pretty unlucky. I recall there was nothing too exciting going on in the F lounge aside from a clean shower. It was so bad that you went up to the business lounge, didn't you, for a moment or two? I did, yes. I went seeking out the Moe, uh, the bar that they have where they, they do their little uh, pop-up. I think the second time I went to the the, the Dubai F Lounge, um, you know, with you, Trevor, actually, I think we enjoyed some Chateau Margaux, which I'm assuming is a little bit more fancy. Maybe is of note. It was, I seem to recall it was a pretty expensive bottle of of, uh, of wine. That's a score, yes. <laughs> so, quick visit to the uh, lounge, had a nice meal, nice sit down meal and shower. Then we were on our day flight from Dubai to Madrid. I think that was only like what a seven hour flight. Also on an A380? No. It's 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 booked Five. to eight and a half. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I keep on thinking because it, it just feels like it's such a quick flight compared to most of the, the, the flights that I've had on A380s. Felt shorter than that. It did. And I think we spent a lot of time at the bar again, didn't we? <laughs> it was also our, our only flight, I think, that left and arrived at a decent time. You know, that one left at, at 7.30 in the morning and landed at 1.30 in the afternoon. And it was nice to not be on a, a 2 a.m. or a 4 a.m. or a midnight flight for once. Yeah, that definitely was. And and I think we landed in Madrid ready to eat and explore the city, kind of hitting the ground, ready to go. But, you know, we had something very unique, at least for me. I know some other people, this is probably like old hat. But actually, I think you arranged for us to get into the cockpit of that A380. Yeah, apparently spending time at the bar can actually lead you to to meet people that might allow you to see what the cockpit looks like. It just happened to be that the first officer was stretching his legs, and I saw the shoulder. Uh, uh, what the heck do we call those things? The bars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the shoulder bars. I'll say, and just chatted him up for you know a good five minutes or so. And as we we're talking, I'm like, you know, hey, just out of curiosity, you know, here with a, a few friends, any chance we could get a look at the cockpit? And they must have spent a good, what, five, 10 minutes on the ground with us as they were unloading. Which, as you recall, turned out to be quite fortuitous, uh, with TK leaving behind his Lego A380 and my laptop that had gone walkabouts during the flight magically reappearing in the first row of coach. 
I'm not sure what caused it, but uh, it was certainly a a happy series of events there caused by Trevor and his social networking skills. <laughs> I, I blame sleep deprivation. You know, you 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 leave your duty free behind and easy to forget, right? Easy to forget for that one, but none of us would ever voluntarily venture downstairs, would we? <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Well, you have to you you have to explore the plane. You know, you got to use the stairs sometime. There was one time where I actually did do the full route on a Korean Air A380, and I had an escort the entire time. <laughs> but so we got to Madrid. Jeff or Joey, do you want to walk through kind of the the quick Madrid experience? Sure. So from what I remember, we checked our luggage at one of those like airport lockers and we took a, I, I don't even know. We, we, we somehow, we took the Metro and the then metro. walked. What, okay. That part. Ugh. We took the Metro and then walked what felt like 19 miles to the Prado museum. And then if I remember correctly, we had the fortunate and or unfortunate fate of the Prado being free. At the time, the problem was there was a 6,000-person line of other people who were excited to go to the Prado for free. So TK, being the only smart one of the four of us, wandered off and took a nap on a hill. (laughs) And Trevor, Jeff, and I looked at beautiful art for, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours, whatever it was. And then we came outside looking for TK, only to find him assisting some Russian Instagram models in a photo shoot as the cameraman which apparently he was woken up while sleeping on a hill and produced some wonderful photos. And this is like almost pre-influencer days. So TK is, you know, right on the cutting edge of, of society back then. Yeah, I think someone else can can take it over from there. Apparently it was the 200th anniversary of the Prado, hence why uh, the entire planet was visiting. Ah, that actually explains a little bit more there. I felt like we walked another 19 miles inside the Prado too. It sure felt like it at times, especially after that light lunch and and beverages. And then I think we left the Prado with TK with a little bit of an extra spring in his step. And he, <laughs> he led us into what I thought was a dungeon that turned out to be a, a little bar underground. Uh, I'm not sure how TK found it or if it's I, maybe his favorite watering hole in town. I don't think I was the Pied Piper in this. I think somebody else wanted to go into this dive bar. I don't. I wasn't sure it was me. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed myself. I thought you marked it on your Google Maps now. Just, just after that experience. <laughs> it was only a stone's throw away, from, though, from the Pado, if I remember, right? It was it was pretty close. It's like across the street or something, right? It was very close, yes. A couple blocks away. And a couple of rounds of beers and then a, a few rounds of gin and tonics. We were having a lot of fun, I thought. Yeah. I think they had probably just a little bit of Spanish tapas or whatever they were giving, giving us along with our drinks. Iberico ham. Yes, yes. But yeah, gin and tonics in, in Madrid, thats it's no joke. They were by far the best that I – well, I don't know if I can really remember them. But, you know, I I, I, I think my – I think I, I think logically, I think I remember thinking, wow, these are really good. I don't know what it tasted like. but And they are in goblets. I mean, they, they've got, you know, they've got big ice cubes. They're big goblet kind of, you know, glasses. I think Madrid actually has special glasses just for their gin and tonics. And the bartender had like a ritual, you know, they were like cutting up uh, citrus and, you know, limes and oranges and lemons and like caressing ice cubes and, you know, doing all kinds of things. And I was just enthralled. I w- and then, you know, you drink it and you're like, oh, okay, I need another. And the, the bartender, if I recall, she wasn't Spanish. Where was she from, Joey? I can't recall at this time. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, a couple of those drinks will do it to you. But TK found out she's from the Dominican Republic. So there was some, I, some I throwing conversations happened after that with a mixture of Spanish, of Caribbean Spanish, of Dominican Spanish, and, and then of incoherent babbling. Mm. Comatuta. And, and as we were enjoying our gin and tonics, this was where I think being an educated frequent traveler kind of can backfire, right? We're watching, knowing that our Santiago flight is a Latam 787 that flies Santiago to Madrid, Madrid to Frankfurt on kind of a fifth freedom or, or open skies, I guess. And then Frankfurt back to Madrid before it continues on to Santiago. And so here we are, we're in the bar and the flight has not left Germany yet. And so check-in time, boarding time, you know, flight time is slipping later and later. And we're like, well, do we go to the airport or eh, let's have another round? Yeah, we had definitely had a couple more rounds. I even drank beer, which is not my usual thing. I felt like the majority of the night was not your usual thing, TK. Uh, this is fair. This is fair. So we finally poured ourselves into an Uber. And I think this is where, Jeff, you take over the story. Well, I had the unfortunate uh, the unfortunate privilege of being encouraged by everybody else's liquid courage to sign up for Uber while in a dark underground tapas bar. The reason we encourage Jeff to sign up for Uber is because this was back in the good old days when like, you got like a free $50 when you signed up. And we were like, well, hello, free money on the table. We have to maximize, Jeff. It's not our fault you didn't know how to use Uber. <laughs> I mean, mind you, I live under a rock, so it wasn't surprising. But uh, I signed up for this wonderful app that I have hence deleted and requested a <laughs> ride to the airport, which seems so simple. Everything went well as we crawled back into the car and first got into the highway. And then everything went really wrong when we woke up and – indeterminate amount of time later to rifle barrels and demands for papers. <laughs> we somehow had ended up at the pilot's entrance and the taxi driver was insisting that the four of us were pilots in our <laughs> wonderful state of mind. And he was trying to continue through the barricade and insisting he had to drive us straight through. Luckily, we were able to communicate hand and foot and get our way out of that. But the next 20 minutes was, was quite a blur of lefts and rights and the driver refusing to follow the navigation and refusing to follow every sign to the airport, no demand. And I'm not sure somebody else can help me out with the zoo that was the inside of the car there. Well, we had we had the fortune of being this man's first Uber ride ever, right? If if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> which probably explains why he was completely, you know, unable to direct himself to Madrid Airport. And also, we all fell asleep. Yes. So, like, you know, <laughs> yes. you have four drunk people in your car that all fall asleep in a foreign country. And Jeff arguably speaks Spanish, but he probably didn't think looking at us that any of us did. So, I think it was just a rough, unfortunate grouping of events, I will say. There is something to be said about not being able to find the airport in your hometown, though, especially with massive yellow signs on the highway. But it's neither here nor there. Well, I think he unfortunately dropped us off on the exact opposite side of Latam check-in at Madrid Airport. Yes. But we made him do that because we had to get our luggage from the lockers that was literally across the whole entire terminal. Oh, that's true. In his it, defense. Except we went straight to the check-in and then doubled back for the luggage. That was a little comical, actually. <laughs> that's one way to put it. <laughs> I think this is this is where you say, you know, do not approach a check-in area on a luggage cart. You know, it's probably not a good idea. Not a well, good let one. me tell you my version of this story. Okay, you take you tell it. And then I think you should tell your version because this is what I remember. We're on the other side of the terminal 
and we freak out because there's literally no one at the desk. Like there's like one lady at the desk and nobody around. And so we were going to get our luggage, like you said. And then I'm like, Oh, there's like no one there. We should go really quick. Like it looked like they were like closing up for the night, which they were. And so we beeline it to me and Jeff just run. I don't see Trevor or TK. We're just running and not like running like full sprint, but like, you know, we're like, we're at a good pace, five, six miles an hour, you know, just chugging along. And this lady's eyes are like the size of flying saucers. And I have no idea what, why she's looking at us. Like, like we're, she was looking at me like we were in clown costumes. And I was just like, I don't understand. I'm just like, look lady, I'm just, you know, trying to get to, I thought she's going to like, you know, put up a sign saying we're closed and leave Austin Mignogna nerd. Yeah. So we just keep getting close to the gate. We keep getting close to the gate and we get up to her and she's very upset. I mean, like, way too upset for a normal person. But I think TK should explain how he made it across the terminal behind me because I did not see any of this. Well, I was I was ill-equipped to, for a sprint to the to the check-in desk. Not that I normally wouldn't be, but even more so than usual because I was nursing, uh, again, I think I mentioned earlier, my, my Achilles was kind of a little hurt at this time. And I was limping. I was, I was gimpy. So Trevor had the wonderful idea of, oh, TK, get on the luggage cart. I will push you. And I, I did not disagree because this seemed to me at the time, you know, to be the best solution to the problem at, at hand, not realizing a few moments later that there would possibly be something odd with somebody, you know, on top of a luggage cart being rolled up to an irate check-in agent at Latam Airlines. But I think, I think you guys can take over from here. She was really upset. And she basically, I think, before we even presented our tickets and explained to her we were on this flight, I think she had zero interest in letting us get on that plane. And so we go back and forth, and I, this is just me editorializing. I have no evidence or idea, but like, I have a very strong feeling the only reason we were able to get on that plane is because we had a paid business class fare. And I think there was no way for her to get us... You know, if she did not let us on that plane right now, I think there was no way we were going to fill. Because, I mean, that that business class cabin is, what, 16 seats? It's small on the 787. So she basically gave us this lecture, and then she was like, I, the only words I remember her saying the whole time were, no party, no party, no party. <laughs> and then she's like, basically was like, I'm going to tell my friends about you on the plane at check-in, no party. And we're like, no, we'll not party. She's like, no more party. She's like, you have fun time? Yeah? No party here. And we're like, <laughs> okay, okay. So then we had to go get our luggage. Then in the process of getting our luggage, it's not TSA there, right? Whatever the TSA equivalent is of, of Europe closed, if you guys remember. And the guy was literally pulling the gate down on security. They were shutting off the lights. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. we begged them to let us come through. I think you missed that that lady at the check-in loud, you know, was, was telling us, you're going the wrong way. Yeah. Because, yeah. You know, yes. right. uh, you know, we had to go pick up our luggage at the other side of the airport oh, yes. now. She yeah, was very upset we were running the wrong way. But. <laughs> Those drunken idiots. What are they doing now? <laughs> well, as soon as, we, as soon as I had my boarding pass, I just bolted. Yeah. <laughs> Figuring because, like, if, if all these different things are closing, our, our, our baggage could be left. <laughs> and so I bolt. And, that, and the lights were off there, too. And I'm like, hey, buddy, come on. We got some. You're going to have to, you know. Uh, thank goodness we were a team carry-on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, then there's some other details that I don't know are worth going into, but uh, essentially somehow TK slipped through and disappeared, and TSA, magically from an Achilles injury to moving so fast, he got through <laughs> European so security funny. and got on a train before <laughs> us, and we just assumed he was drunk and lost in the airport. I was the last one through security, and I was just asking the security guy, I was like, hey, how do I get down to the trains to get to the terminal where the flight is? And he's like, oh, just take that elevator right there. So I did that somehow. He didn't indulge any of this information to us. So we like walk down six ramps, we get to the train and there's literally no one at the train station. We're like, where's TK? And, and then we're on the train and we're literally like, you know, you know, looking at each other and we're like, well, we said, you know, you get left behind, you get left behind. I mean, but we're still having this kind of internal battle. I think each of us of, do we go back for him? Do we risk missing the plane? Well, I was fully in support of not leaving him, although I set the no man left behind rule, but I also had no idea where he was. I was like, I mean, because the train took, what, seven to ten minutes to get there? Because it must have just left. Not like it. Meanwhile, I, I had gone to, you know, to the terminal, get to the gate. I was like, where are those guys? And I'm like, uh, oh, I'm going to go to the bathroom and freshen up. I change my shirt, wash my face, you know. <laughs> you know maybe I might have spritzed some cologne on or something, you know. Powder your nose. Powder my nose. You know, I was coming out. I, was, I just sat down. I was like, boy, those guys are taking a long time. What What the hell? And I remember we passed a lounge and I think, Joey, you were like, no, 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 no. We can't go to the lounge. And I'm like, oh, OK, fine. And we get, <laughs> we get to the gate. <laughs> we get to the gate and we're like, OK, fine. You, you know, we got a few minutes. We're not boarding yet. And so we we start heading to the bathroom. You walk out like completely freshened up, new shirt and everything. <laughs> we're all like, what the <laughs> That was the only time that trip I wanted to punch someone in the face. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? That, that was the time? Okay. That was the, that was the oh, moment. Okay. All right. Well, I got a little bit of karma thrown at me, though, at the gate, I guess. Yeah, tell us about that. Well, no, it just, you know, we, we get on. There's no problem. But I get cordoned off, set aside. To like the, the person's like, you know, come over here, you know. So you were given some instructions by the check-in agent. Have you followed those instructions? Did you no party? And I was like, no, 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 no lounge, nothing. No, you know? So that was interesting. I don't know why I, I don't know. I don't know why I was singled out. Apparently I'm, I'm the troublemaker here. I mean, you were on the luggage cart. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. That, 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 that checks out. All right. And they also had you next to a deadheaded LATAM pilot, and you snored. Oh, my God. That was louder than anyone has ever <laughs> snored on a flight where there's no way that guy got one minute of sleep because <laughs> I woke up like six times on that flight. And I was like, Jeff, who is snoring? And you're like, it's TK. And I'm like, there's no way. TK is like on the other side of this. What? <laughs> the best part was that <laughs> Joey and I were in 1A and B. And TK was in whatever the last row on, on that Latam Airlines flight is on the other side of the other side of the, the cabin. <laughs> and he's keeping the entire cabin awake from Madrid to Santiago. And I'm a heavy sleeper. And like his snoring woke me up. And if I remember, that's about a 13 and a half hour flight. And I don't think TK woke up once. <laughs> I, I was exhausted at that point. It was several days since we'd slept in a hotel, I think. And that for me was a little bit much. So I was dead to the world. We technically hadn't had an overnight hotel since the St. Regis, Singapore. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. We just did the day hotel at the Grand Hyatt in Korea. But you didn't sleep, did you, TK? I think you just showered and stuff. 
I might have taken a nap because you guys, I think we went to the pool or something. You went to the pool or something, right? And at the Grand Hyatt. Oh, yeah. That locker room. Yeah. Oh, we went to the spa. Oh, oh yeah, spa. spa. That's right. And then I think we played dominoes in the lounge while you guys right. slept or whatever. Right. Yes. I think we joined you in the lounge later. Yeah. Yes. And, and then we went to the city. But let's not go back to Korea. But so we landed in Santiago and we got a hotel again. We're, we're big time. We did. Yes. We got off that flight. Oof, man, that was a rough flight. And then we, I don't know, we had no plans to stay in a hotel, but I think we were like, guys, we need a hotel. Well, we needed a shower at a minimum because after Madrid and and running through the airport. So we stayed at the W Hotel in Santiago, which was nice. From what I remember, everything kind of past Madrid is a little bit blurry. We walked around town a lot. We got some pretty decent food in Santiago. I kind of liked Santiago and Chile as a whole. Like That's probably the one place leaving that trip. I was like, man, I'd like to go back and spend some more time there, which I haven't done. But it was pretty good. And then we, I don't know if anyone else remembers anything significant about Santiago, but we were kind of in like a hungover stupor, I feel like all of us for most of it. I remember that next hike. And at that point, my my knee was killing me. I think TK also set that one out, but we ended up going up some sort of, I don't know, was that a fort or something? There was like a funicular there, maybe. No, because we didn't have a way down. Oh, you didn't? We had okay. to walk up and down. <laughs> I think there was like a Mary, Mary statue. There was a walk up and down. And we, we left TK behind. That's where my, that's right. I think it's the Central Park or something. I forget exactly where it is. But TK once again took the probably the correct option and sat down at the bottom feeding pigeons while the three of us climbed up and then back down. But no Instagram models that time. Nope. We were a little disappointed to, to find you not doing a photo shoot. He had pigeons. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had been there before, and I think I'd walked up that place just like I'd already been to the Prado, like I'd already been to anyway. Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> I think we're a little long for your time. I'll wrap up how we got home real quick, and then you guys can talk about it because we basically sure. split up. So Jeff actually booked my American flight down. I think it was fifty-seven five AA miles. Sounds right. And, and magically, I found two flights from. I basically did Santiago to Atlanta, Atlanta to SFO on Delta. And I think in economy, it was 45,000, 50,000 Delta miles. And I had two global certificates because I was Delta Diamond back then that cleared instantly both legs, like five months out. Like, how crazy is that? Which I know it's not that crazy now because you can actually do them online and it's, it's very simple. But this was in like the good old days. You had to like pick up your rotary telephone and call an agent. So that was kind of exciting. So that was kind of our swap that we did. We got into Atlanta, man. That, so we the only downside is that Santiago to Atlanta is on those old 767-300. And like, that's basically like a coffin and all the plastic's been shattered out of the footwell. So you cut your feet the whole time. It's glorious. I slept literally from the moment that flight took off till we landed. And the flight attendant was very concerned about me and kept asking Jeff <laughs> if she should wake me up. <laughs> and then we did a great redemption. Jeff used all, I think, 18,000 or 15,000 of his Sky Miles. And we bought a Donald of Dom Perignon in the uh, Delta E-Lounge. I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah. Well, we were missing yeah. out. Yeah. We took a flight to San Francisco together in business. And then Jeff drove home. And then I, after all of those flights... Had to take Southwest back to LAX and drive <laughs> home. That was, a, that was a brutal Southwest flight. 
that that's a brutal end to it. Yeah, but that was like I said, it was a great trip. How did you guys get back? Yeah, like you, before we even got to ten thousand feet, I was asleep on my American Airlines flight from Santiago to Miami, and I found that crew to be so bad. I, I they didn't give me any food because I I slept through the uh, the initial uh, meal service, and when I woke up, they're like, "Yep, yeah, you missed out." I didn't get an amenity kit. I got nothing. But you know what? I got a really good four or five hours of sleep on that flight. And then just a quick hop up from Miami. How about you, TK? I think you had a more interesting experience. I did. Well, I, I left the latest out of all of you. I, I got, you know, after having the best ham sandwich ever in the Sky Club, just because we were all so damn hungry. <laughs> I then hoofed it over to the Avianca Lounge and took Copa, actually, up to uh, Panama City and then, then went over to Cancun, where I met up with my family, my brother, sister, significant others, my nephew. We all went to Hyatt uh, Ziva in Cancun. So yeah, it's not too comfortable. Uh, unlike you guys, I mean, it was just, it was Copa, which is means doesn't mean lay flat, but you know, 737s, it was all right. It wasn't horrible. And the flights were shorter, obviously, up to uh, up to Cancun rather than up all the way to the US, but not by that much. But that was, yeah, that was my way back. But so I kept, I kept going for a little bit longer in Cancun before I headed home. But it was amazing. It was definitely a, a, a trip for uh, whatever. I don't, I don't know. Uh, a trip for the ages. A trip for the ages. You, you've got it. Yeah, it was a trip for the ages. Joey, any final thoughts? With the exception of Uncle TK over here, you know, I feel like we just need to do it all again with Trevor, Jeff, and, and me all have children relatively at the same age. I think we got to do around the world with our children plus Uncle TK. Oh, I, I was I was worried. It sounded like you wanted to leave me out this time. I know. Come on, you know. Come on now. Come on now, Samchun. I wouldn't leave you behind. <laughs> Round the world family style, where instead of just four seats, we need to have what is it, nine seats, eight or nine seats? My wife is one thousand percent not coming. So it's just no, my, my me never plus one. The plane. Yeah, me plus one. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to speak for anyone else's wife, but it's probably going to be <laughs> men plus children plus TK. <laughs> I was just worried. I was like, how am I going to book this? Like, are there business class cabins large enough for this this party? <laughs> hey, one day we did get six or eight seats in Etihad first, but that's a story for another day. That is true. That's another episode. It is. Jeff, any final thoughts? I was a great trip. I was hopefully not a once in a lifetime experience. Hopefully we can do it again with kids, but thank you to, to Uncle TK over here for, for making it all happen. Jeff and Joey, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Joey, tell us how we can find you. You can find me at Joey Redman on pretty much every social media platform out there. And Jeff, also thank you for joining us. How can we find you? Thanks for having me. And you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Gave up Twitter, huh? Gave up everything. Well, that's the show. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed listening. Join us next time on Travel Stories. Until then, we hope your next story is a travel story. 